All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to finish up Galatians 5, and my intention is to go to Galatians 6, but we will see how far we go. Just a reminder, this uh, Saturday is the men's breakfast. Join us for that. That'll be at 7 a.m. Um, we have Ken coming up from uh, down south at Calvary St. Joe, He's coming, or Calvary uh, Grace. They're coming up to teach um, egg dish and egg casseroles and cinnamon rolls, and I'm making the cinnamon rolls. Technically, they're coming from my house. I'll carry them in the door. They are Jenny's, and they're different. They're not like a bread dough kind. Uh, I'm luring you with food, you see. Um, anyway, they're pretty good. I love them. So that's this Saturday. All right. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart in writing to the Galatians, such a difficult corrective letter. Um, but with that correction, Lord, he has a heart for them to win, to do well, to walk worthy. And um, that's all he wants for those that he's started in the faith to finish well. So God, we want to finish well. Some of us are stuck in a loop. Some of us have been going around a mountain, so to speak, same things in our lives over and over again and can't figure out if it's just bad luck or whether we're just not being obedient or hearing your spirit. And so God, I pray that tonight you would clarify for us change our directions, change our paths, and uh, give us eyes to see spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. That's one of the biggest problems I think we have is as we go through one of the lists, there are several lists in the Bible of things we're not supposed to do, and tonight we'll have one of them. Um, and there are some omissions and some additions in this list. But for the most part, I read through those lists, because it, not that it's uncomfortable, but it's a lot. We're going to take our time tonight and go through each one of these words because I think we need to know and identify what these are because they're, they are the problem in our lives. They're, they're what keeps us from the progression we'd like to see with Jesus in our lives. And, uh, and so if these things are in our lives, we cannot move forward with Jesus and progress like we'd like with them there. They have to be removed, and hopefully we'll understand that tonight. Because that's all Paul's heart is. I just don't want you to do the works of the flesh. I want you to have the fruit of the Spirit. And so hopefully we'll get there tonight and understand that. He begins in verse 16. I believe we left off in 15 last week. But verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that's what we've been discussing in this last chapter, is the law versus walking in the Spirit, and what's the difference? Does it mean we can do whatever we want now that we have liberty in Christ? And Paul is trying to teach them the best way to get to holiness. Make no mistake about that. He's not saying holiness isn't important anymore. He's saying, no, this is a better path. This is a sure path. And so we're still, the goal is holiness. And he's saying simply, you don't have to worry about the law anymore so much as what are the rules and the regulations? Am I keeping all those things? I mean, that's tax seasons coming up, right? And that's why we hire professionals to do it because it's almost impossible for the average Joe to do their own taxes anymore if you have any kind of income or com complexity to your, to your income um, to make sure that, well, you're not overpaying. That's our biggest concern, I think. But also, I don't want to go to jail, you know. Um, I want to do the right thing and to, and to make these things appropriate and make sure that I've covered all my bases. And that's a very legal thing. And God does not want our relationship with him to be like that. He doesn't want us to make sure that we've got all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted to make sure that we're, we're fulfilling all this. It gives you anxiety, gives you a stomachache, gives you an ulcer to think about being pleasing to God all the time. So Paul tries to make it very simple. If you walk in the Spirit, and that's a capital S, the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I don't have to worry about the lists of don'ts. I just have to do what the Holy Spirit leads me to do each day. And of course, I understand the next follow-up question is, easier said than done. I mean, I would just like it laid out for me. What does the Holy Spirit want me to do today? Make a list, put it on the whiteboard, and I'll follow it. Well, we get back to the law again. He says, no, no, no. 
It's, it's, a, it's a very uh, personal conversation that we have with the Holy Spirit all day long. Paul says that I pray without ceasing. Do you know why that is? First of all, he's got burdens on his heart all the time for all the saints that he's ever led to the Lord or is left behind and isn't sure how they're doing. So he's praying constantly for them. But also, what do I need to do today? How do I interact with these people? What do they need from me? What do they need from you? You know, these are prayers that he has all the time. So he's in this constant fellowship with the Holy Spirit, being led. What do I do? The walk in the Holy Spirit, the, to, to say that is this. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you know that? Do you understand that? You're not just you anymore. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He makes his home in you. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Read both John 16 and John 14. Those two chapters will give you a wealth of information about the Holy Spirit. And it's not that we need to know about him. It's to understand that he's in us. That's what Jesus sent, to, sent the Holy Spirit to do, to dwell in us. He's our teacher and our guide. He is ever present with us wherever we go. It's not just body, uh, you know, mind, soul, and spirit. It's not just, we have the Holy Spirit, the living God. We are the temple now. He dwells inside of us and we carry with him. Paul is indicating to these believers, you have the Holy Spirit. Walk with him every day. Why was it to their advantage that he sent the Holy Spirit? I would think walking with Jesus would be pretty cool, right? I think we all agree that following him, being close to him, him being our rabbi, appointing to him, there he is. But for the best we can do is to imitate him as we watch him work. That's the best we can do, which is pretty good. We had a whole movement of bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it was well-meaning. And I, if that's the best you can do, still do it. But the best that bracelet could ever make me do was to imitate Christ, to imitate him, to see what he did, and, and, then, and then try to do exactly like he did it. It's completely different with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and now you can do it not from imitation, but from a heart, like Jesus had. Jesus did what he did that we're trying to imitate if we're outside of him, did what he did because he was led by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit when he was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit fell upon him, came upon him, filled him, and he began to do all these things. What Jesus did, what we want to emulate in our lives is based off of his walking with the Spirit, praying to the Father, doing God's will each and every day, but personally. So for me to imitate someone who's listening to the Holy Spirit is second best. He's died on the cross for our sins and has given us the Holy Spirit like he had, and now we can be governed from within by the Holy Spirit as to what we should do each day and every moment. It makes a world of difference. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The second thing that we need to realize with the Holy Spirit is that we need to be open and sensitive to his influence in our lives. In other words, he is having a conversation with us. He is telling us what to do. Are we listening? Are we listening to that internal guidance, that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings into us? This is what I need to do. My flesh will say, don't do it. It's demeaning, it's demoralizing, it's beneath you. The Holy Spirit says it's what needs to happen right now. Meekness. Yes, you have full control. Yes, you're a child of the Most High God. Yes, you should be able to walk with robes, you know, because you're a child of the King. But that's not what I want you to do right now. Of anybody in the world that could have ever done that, it would have been Jesus, but did he? No. He didn't walk in arrogance. He didn't walk in pride. He walked in humility and servanthood. That's what he showed us. We're called to that. And so when the Holy Spirit leads me to do that and I buck that, fight against it, kick against the goads like Paul used to do, that's me pushing against the Holy Spirit's conviction and leading in my life. We have to be open and sensitive to that. Finally, the third thing, pattern your life after the influence of the Holy Spirit. It means to be habitual. 
I need to get to the point where it's almost paralyzing if I don't hear from God. I want to hear from the Lord. What do you want me to do? And that is what I will do. And I want my life to show he, he said to do this, and that's what I did. On the other side of that is, he didn't say do that, therefore I didn't. I think a, pe- a lot of people have a hard time with that. A lot of people, a lot of Christians have a hard time with, what do you mean you're going to pray about it? I'm going to pray about it and see if that's what God wants me to do. What if he says that's not what you, and I'm not doing it. It may be a good thing. It may be noble. It may be beneficial. It may be holy even. But if God hasn't called me to do it, then I'm not going to do it. It's for someone else to do. It's for not for me to be a part of. Both are true. The influence of the Holy Spirit in my life needs to be this, a pattern that I follow. It's different from imitating Jesus Walking under the influence of Jesus of, of the Holy Spirit is different than imitating Jesus. And we need to get that into our hearts. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, which will come up later in the text, and that's the reason I picked the scripture for this section. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The same way. Maybe some of you have never known this and praise the Lord for that. But Some of us have had a darker past than you. If you've ever been under the influence of any kind of substance, alcohol or otherwise, you know what that makes you feel like. You know how it affects every part of you, your speech, the way you carry yourself, the way you walk, your abilities, your inabilities, performance, mannerisms, attitudes. All of that is affected by these things. Likewise, better yet, have the Holy Spirit do that to you. I need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and changed by him. He needs to affect me. I need to look odd. I've had many conversations with drunk people before, and it's an odd conversation. They're not even the same person. Not the same person as they are when they're sober. And maybe you know what that's like. And they're talking to you, and they've, they're either, they've never been more in love or they've never hated you more. It's one of the two things. There's no in-between. I mean, it's all in or all out. And it's so strange. And you, you take everything they say with a grain of salt, don't you? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Get in the car. Get in the car. Not on the floorboard. Open the door. Open the window. Get, put your head out the window if you have to. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I've had many a drive like that. A Christian under the influence of the Holy Spirit is different than someone who's imitating Christ, just imitating Jesus from the external. Watching, reading, memorizing, then doing is different than being under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Word of God can only do so much, and here's what I mean by that. Don't get me wrong. It's everything. It's the sword of the Spirit, but it's the sword of the Spirit. It's not okay by itself. It's got to be the sword of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Word of God can only cover so many scenarios, so many situations before you're like, well, I don't see it in the Bible. Therefore, the Holy Spirit who governs and guides you will help you in all the scenarios that aren't covered or maybe that you don't know about. The Holy Spirit is your guide. You think about that. How many of the New Testament saints, first, second century church, had a pile of scrolls that they carried with them that they could refer to at any moment? How many of them had that? It's not until the Gutenberg, it's not until the press that we actually had, and not until it was uh, translated into our English. That's why we all have the scriptures. That's why we all hold them in our hands. What did they do beforehand? What did the first and second century church do? Yeah, there were some that had scrolls, and yes, they studied and they did, but it was either memorized that Saturday or Sunday whenever they met, and after that, the rest of the week, how were they guided? What did they refer to? The Holy Spirit said he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. He, he, not an it, not a force, not an essence, not an idea, not a philosophy. He, God dwells in you. That's incredible to think about that untapped resource if we haven't been tapping it. Now, when he says... This battle that we have in the flesh and between the spirit, that is a raging battle. And Paul covers that in great detail in Romans 7 and 8, which we'll get to. 
But Acts 20 is where I want to go right now, verses 18 through 21. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to put the flesh in the rearview mirror. You have to repent towards God. Um, Spurgeon, great theologian, wonderful man of God. Not just a theologian because I think of more academic only, no heart. That's what it's become, it seems like. No, he had a heart for God, loved God, loved him. He said, the grace that does not change your life will not save your soul. The grace that will not change your life will not save your soul. I think that's important. If you understand the grace of God and you've accepted it and allowed him to be your savior, it will change your life. If you're not a changed life, if you don't have a changed life, I'm I'm wondering what grace you understand, what salvation you've believed on, what is the gospel message that you've heard because it should change your life. That's what James was getting at. Faith without works is dead. You say you have faith. Show me your faith. Don't tell me your faith. Show me your faith. I want to see it. There should be a changed life in proof. It's fruit. And it isn't even hard to do. That's where we get messed up sometimes. Well, I believed on Jesus. I heard the gospel. I came forward at church. I raised my hand. I said the prayer. I got in the water. I got out of the water. Now I'm imitating Christ. I'm doing what he told me to do. And you can go through all those things and still not be saved. Because you haven't believed on Jesus for your salvation in your heart. You haven't been born again. You haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not governed by God. You're still imitating what everybody else has done in the room. It's different. Walk in the Spirit and you, won't be, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Paul called us to repentance. Romans, like I said, verses 7, 21 through 25, describes this battle that Paul battled before he was filled with the Spirit. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now he goes on in chapter 8. Continue on. We don't have time for that tonight, but continue on as he describes what the Holy Spirit does for him after that. That's what chapter 8 is about. Many people take this and have made doctrines out of it. In fact, progressive Christianity, although there's a bazillion different beliefs in progressive Christianity, nobody has written a book on this is what progressive Christianity is all about. But one of the things is, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm saved, but my flesh, whatever it does, it does. The idea is, I just sin, but that's not me. That's not the real me. Paul describes it here. The inward man loves God, but my flesh can't seem to stop what it's doing. (laughs) That flesh can't wait till it's dead. But until then, they're still eating and drinking and living for tomorrow they die. They're still doing what they do in the flesh. The Bible is so clear on this. It's not okay. In fact, at the end of this, Paul's going to say, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how important this list is. Those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds like we're getting put back under the law again. No, we're not. The practicing of, the continuation of, the idea that that's okay. I've got this salvation that I put over here in this left pocket, but in my right pocket, I've got all the sins I ever wanted to do, and I have no convictions about them at all. It's wonderful, but my soul's going to heaven because I did those things. That's the practicing. 
When you've resigned yourself to the fact that this is what I'm going to do, I'm no longer fighting the sin, I'm going to continue, I'm accepting it, it's who I am, I'm going on with it in my life. That's the mountain you're going around. You've felt conviction about it in the past, but over time you've decided that I just can't seem to have victory over this in my life, therefore I give up. And I'm accepting it. Be careful. Be careful. Paul's very serious about this. It's a very dangerous thing. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're not led by the Spirit is the implication, then you are. Then you are. Verse 19, now, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious, they're out front, they're, they're there, which are adultery. In the NIV, if you have one of those texts, it, it doesn't have adultery in it, but that's okay. I'm not going to get on that tonight. Adultery is definitely covered under fornication in case you were wondering if, well, the NIV doesn't talk about adultery there. No, 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 fornication will cover it for you. You still can't commit adultery, no matter what version of the scriptures you read. Adultery. Adultery is a very serious event. This is um, any kind of physical intimacy outside of marriage in your marriage. Okay? So this is a married couple. Any kind of physical outside of this is adultery. You've committed it. It's illegal. It's sin. Now, as we go through this list, maybe I should start off with this where I'm going to end with it so that we understand as we go through this list. The cross was built for a reason. It was built to crucify my flesh to. My flesh, these are the works of my flesh. So the cross itself is built for me to put these things on it and kill it. The cross did not come and was not built for me to be okay in these things. It was for me to physically take these characteristics and nail them to the cross. That is why Jesus died. For us to say anything on this list is, oh, that's old-fashioned, that's whatever, is to diminish the work of the cross. The cross was built for these things that we're going through. That's why I hate them. That's why we hate them. That's why we're supposed to hate them in our lives. Adultery. Verse 528 of Matthew. But I say to you, Jesus says, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. No, it's not okay to window shop. First job I had here was at Deluxe. It was called Nebs at the time. Now it's Deluxe. I was on the uh, day shift because I was a temp. I was at the end doing packaging. And a deacon from a well-known church in our town came up to me and said, what do you think of her? I looked at him and I said, I'm married. So am I, but I'm just looking, he said. I said, no, that's adultery. He just looked at me and was offended and didn't talk to me the rest of the time I worked there. That's okay. Still a deacon at this church, by the way. Not at this church, at that church. There's no conviction there for him. Window shopping has somehow worked out in his mind that that's okay. It's not adultery. I'm just looking. That's not okay. So if you've ever come to that place in your life, men, where you think it's okay, ladies, it's not okay either. We have no business doing that. There's no window shopping. You don't get to just look. I'm not touching. It's still adultery. In Jesus' words, it's still adultery. It needs to be nailed to the cross. It's what he died for. Every time I do that, every time you do that, it is committing a sin with which Jesus needed to be nailed to the cross for. Just let that conviction rest. I'm not trying to make everybody feel horrible tonight. I'm just trying to make everybody feel horrible tonight. I want us to feel the weight of why he died on the cross and to never, all of a sudden, I'm so okay with all of these things in my life because they're not as bad as they used to be. I've made the cross almost of zero effect in my life. It's just a, it's a shadow of what it was meant to be. We come to the cross kneeling and broken with tears, sobs, and repentance for a reason. Because these things are wrong, and I did those things, and they separated me from God. As I grow older in the Lord, these things still have to be abhorrent to me. 
I can't get used to them. Romans 1, verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul takes it a step further. Just watching it, you're approving. I approve. I'm not doing it. They're doing it. But I'm just watching it. It's not okay. It's not okay. He goes on. We'll get off adultery and move to fornication. That'll be easier, won't it? Fornication is any kind of sex or physical activity outside of marriage. So you can see how that covers marriage as well. So if adultery is not in your Bible, that's okay. It's covered under here. Fornication, any kind of physical activity outside of marriage with the other person is wrong. It's sin. It needs to be nailed to the cross. Many people go around this mountain in their life. I can't figure out why my relationships don't work out. I can't figure out, are you doing this? Well, yeah, but everybody does that. That's why you're going around the mountain. Stop. Quit. Trust the Lord. Let him bring to you someone who doesn't want that from you first. They want to put a ring on your finger. They want to marry you. They want to, they want to care for you and love for you and love you for who you are, your person. Your beauty's fine. They can love that. That's okay. But they love your personality. They love everything about you first. And they would never think of doing that to you because that would be violating one of God's daughters or sons. And I cannot have that on my conscience. I love God too much. That's the guy or the gal you marry. Anybody that will bypass that and says they're a Christian isn't there. They're not telling you the truth. Fornication is keeping us from moving forward. Letting God do more. It's dangerous. Uncleanness. I think pornography falls under this more than anything. You could do fornication if you wanted to, but pornography would fall into this one as well. Uncleanness. Just uncleanness in general. It seems like a catch-all kind of thing. But it's any kind of thing, because he's talking about physical, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, kind of all go together. Those are sexual sins, in a sense. The way it's in context, that's what he means. It goes along with watching. It goes along with all of that, that uncleanness. Because lewdness follows up. That's the willingness and ability and readiness to go ahead and do whatever's available and whatever comes my way. That's lewdness. You're a lewd person. Paul says that should not be named in Christianity among the believers. Those things are works of the flesh. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't practice these things. It's not okay. This lewdness and uncleanness, they kind of go together. There's a quote that's being used a lot. And I, I see this a lot in the Western world. Now that I'm kind of farmerish, rancher, kind of whatever I am now, I see this sass in some of the women. And fine, sass away, but this I don't like. And we need to understand this. The, the quote or the thing, well-behaved women rarely make history. See that on t-shirts, sweatshirts, banners, Whatever, well-behaved women rarely make history. The implication that they're bringing from that is you need to be unbehaved. Yeah, don't tell let society. Do you know where the quote comes from? It doesn't come from a sassy Western gal. It doesn't come from Marilyn Monroe, Gloria Steinem, Eleanor Roosevelt, any of these people. It comes from a woman. I'm trying to find her name here. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich. She was a Harvard professor. Awesome. But do you know what she meant by that? It's the unsung woman who's virtuous that doesn't get recognized. The only way to get recognition in this world is to be lewd. That's the only thing this world recognizes. That's the only thing you'll become famous for. If you're more lewd, if you're less uh, under the thumb of men, then you'll make history. That's, it's your... That's how you become notorious. But that's not what she wanted. She wrote it in her book, Virtuous Women Found, New England Ministerial Literature, 1968 to 1738, 1668 to 1735. 
What she meant was this. I'm trying to find the explanation. I, I took the whole article out. I think it's important. What she was concerned with was that, that it goes unsunk, that the quiet woman, the woman who does what God wants her to do, the one who's leading, the one who is left out of society's history books is, is the idea. You can look up the whole quote if you want. I didn't grab what I wanted to grab off of it. But it certainly doesn't mean what it's become to mean. Well-behaved women rarely make history, therefore act up. Be sinful. Be raunchy. Be lewd. I don't mean to pick on women, but it's men too. That's not okay for us as Christians to be in that position. To boast about those things. Paul says, stop it. Uncleanness and lewdness. He moves on to idolatry. Idolatry and sorcery go together. They're both religious sins. These things, uh, sorcery, so-so, pharmacia is the other word for it. Um, when you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol, when you're uh, following astrology, these things aren't okay. They're sin. They need to be nailed to the cross. Now, astrology, Scorpio, Libra, all these things. I, I see so many Christians blending this stuff together. I see them blending crystals and new age stuff with this stuff. It, it's not okay. It's sorcery. I don't believe it. I mean, I don't believe that stuff. I don't care if you believe it or not. You can't blend those things together. Forever I've been trying to explain yoga to people. I've almost given up. It's Hindu. Nah, not the way we do it. Yeah. Nope. It is. There's no way around it. Yeah, but I pray afterwards. Doesn't matter. Doesn't make any difference. But I get so much flack from it. I'm like, fine, bend away. But you are worshiping. Every pose is designed to bring your flesh into submission and open yourself up to the other gods. To be accepting of them. That's what it's for. It's not for you to be really limber and stretchy. It's not. In fact, the yogis, the gurus say you cannot have Hinduism without yoga. Yoga is Hinduism, they said. That's what they say about it. I'm all for stretching. Stretch. You should. You know, work out. Do whatever you need to do to this flesh. But don't. Don't. Fall into the sorcery and the idolatry that goes along with it. Namaste, the God in me sees the God in you. What? We get to say that as Christians. And many other things. Drugs and alcohol, we now have marijuana as legal. As legal as your beer, so you don't get to say anything about it anymore. Those things, when, you brought in, when you're brought into the influence of those things, um, you're opening yourself up. You just are. He's going to describe drunkenness later on. But still. So avoid those things. Kill those things in your life. No more idolatry. No more sorcery. Get rid of them. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. Those are all things against people. Dissensions. They all kind of go together. I don't want to cluster them, but they're very... Obvious hatred, flashes of anger, contentions. You like to fight about things. And it all comes from pride, the pride in our hearts. I want to be right. I want you to all be wrong. And I want you to know it. That's where it comes from. Hatred is murder. Jesus said so. If you've hated someone in your heart without a cause, it's murder. It's a very dangerous thing. Those things have to go from my life. If you have something against a brother or sister in the Lord, or against anybody for that matter, we have to practice forgiveness. We have to. Every one of these things that we're going through in this list is contrary to the Spirit of God. You cannot accept anything. Everything on this list is contrary to the Spirit of God. It's opposite of. It's offensive. Contentions, jealousies, jealousies. Hmm. It says that God is a jealous God. It's a different kind of jealousy. It's a different kind. God's jealousy for us is, I know what's best for you. Read, uh, read Hosea if you don't understand what jealousy is. 
That's God's jealousy. The prophet Hosea was called to marry a prostitute and, and, and have children by her. And he says, this is what it's like being married to you, Israel. And she would oftentimes leave him, although he had done nothing wrong and provided for and took care of her. She kept going back to her profession, to other men, and he would have to continually buy her off of the auction block over and over again as if he was a John, if you know what that means, and bring her back home. He had to pay for his wife over and over and over again. And God says, this is what it's like. His jealousy was, I love you, honey. Whatever you're doing is harming you and hurting you. It's not about me. It's not about owning you. It's not about keeping you. It's about protecting you and watching out for you and providing for you. And I can't do that while you're out there. You need to be here. That's God's jealousy. Our jealousies is ownership, possession. And that's the wrong kind of jealousy. I'm not to be jealous about people. I'm not to be jealous about the things that they have that I don't have. I need to let those things go and understand that God is blessing. That'll go along with envy here in a minute. Jealousies. Dissensions, that's divisions. Someone who causes division. They pull people away from each other. Could be family member against family member. Could be brother or sister in the Lord. They cause divisions. They whisper, private meetings, talking about, bringing down someone's character when they're not around. That's dissensions, and that's of the devil. It's not of God. It's not of the Spirit. Heresies, I have a long one on that. (laughs) I have a lot of cross-references for this, because heresies are those things that we teach that aren't biblical. We have to be careful. Things we believe that aren't biblical. I'll begin in Matthew 5, 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of of heaven. We're called to know what God wants and then teach others to do what God wants. If we do anything that breaks God's commandment and then teaches, that puts a lot of pastors today in the crosshairs of the Lord. He's not happy with what they're teaching. That's not okay. That ideology that you've embraced and you've moved scripture out, and you've brought in the worldly intentions for mankind, that's not okay with God. And you're teaching them as if it is okay with God. It's not. Matthew 18, 6, But whoever causes one of, the, one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. You thought crosshairs might have been too strong a language for these pastors. Okay, have it your way, a millstone, and he drowns them. Very dangerous place. 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, that's your job. Your job isn't to acquiesce to the world's whims. Your job is to teach what I taught you. You're to teach what God wants. And then you find men who will do the same thing and you pass it on and it it grows that way. Do not pass it on to men who won't do that. And you know they won't. Find faithful men. 1 Timothy 6, 3-6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. You think he's serious about this? That's a strong condemnation. Matthew 3, 7 through 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to free from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. His concern there, of course, was the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming. He says, I just want to see some fruit from you. There needs to be fruit. If you're truly here to repent and turn towards God, 
We ought to be able to see a change in you. The problem is the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't see anything wrong with themselves. They couldn't judge themselves. They couldn't take God's word and apply it to their own lives. Somehow or another, it had all been justified what they were doing. And that's why they get such a strong condemnation. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. It's clear. It's clear. There should be a change in us. So he finishes with this after we get done with murders and drunken, drunkenness and revelries and the like. He covers end the like because you need the Holy Spirit to know what end the like is. But some will say, whew, my sin's not in that list. Okay, okay, end the like. That's the D, all of the above, and then some. Here's what we're trying to get at. I mean, wasn't that an exhausting teaching so far? It's like, oh my God, because it's works of the flesh. Now, compare this to the fruit of the Spirit. You don't work for fruit. You can't. You can't even try. You can't manufacture an apple for me. It is not going to be a good. It's like the impossible burger. It's not a burger. <laughs> Tastes just like one, but it's not. Something wrong with it. Make an apple. These are people in the idea of the impossible burger Christian. Just made that up. <laughs> Is the one who's imitating. But they're not beef. You don't have to work for fruit. Fruit comes. Fruit indicates. Works is like industrial, isn't it? Makes you think of boots, steel toes, things like that. Forgeries. You know, Sweat. Fruit? That's probably why I hate gardening. Stupid vine, you know? Grow. I can't do anything to help it. There are some things I can do. I can cultivate it. I can make the soil rich. The plant's got to do what the plant's got to do. The only way fruit comes into your life is when you abide in the vine. And as you abide in the vine, which is Jesus Christ, and he's pumping into you day in and day out, you bear fruit. It's natural, it's beautiful, it's fragile, it's delicate, it's wonderful, it's tasty, it's appetizing, it's healthy, all those things. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life comes naturally by being just abiding in the vine. That's the biggest fear for Christians is, okay, now I've got to remember to have joy. I've got to remember to love and have peace and long-suffering. You're working. You're industrial. You've got your steel-toed boots on. You're trying to be a Christian. No, just abide in Christ. Be led of the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, there's just this fruit. Joy isn't what your day was like. Joy isn't that. Joy is who you are in Christ. I have joy. But your dog died. I know, but I have joy. I'm sad my dog died, but I have joy. It doesn't change. I have fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's why he says fruit singular. Love is the fruit. Think of it this way. Love is the cluster. 
the things we're going to read after are the individual grapes. I think every Christian kid's poster in Sunday school has always been wrong, personally. You got the, get the banana, and you got the apple, and you got the pineapple, and this is the fruits of the Spirit. It's not fruits, it's fruit. Love is the cluster. Each individual grape would be the characteristic. All these things stem from love, and that's not our kind of love. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. It comes only from God. I cannot produce agape love without the Holy Spirit. It comes from him. I can love my wife as an unbeliever until I don't, until I don't like her anymore, until she bothers me or has irritated me, right? Agape love that God has for us and pumps into us as we abide in the vine by the Holy Spirit comes out of us and changes us and affects people. You can tell the difference in the amount of kind of love that you receive from people. You can tell it. It's not conditional. You know that tomorrow they're not going to hate you. You may blow it, but there are people in your lives that have an agape love for you, Christians and believers, that you know that if you blow it, they're going to be with you. They're going to help you. They're going to love you. They're going to carry you. They're going to, they're going to bring you back with gentleness, as Paul describes here. That's love. Attributes of this love is joy. Joy is not happiness, although it is. It should show up. I'm very joyful that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm very joyful that I'm a part of this fellowship. I'm very joyful about these things. Now, is this fellowship perfect all the time? Is everybody nice all the time? No, they're not. But I still have joy over you. Am I right all the time? Am I the best pastor anybody's ever seen or heard? No, I'm not. I know that. But you should still be able to have joy here. Peace. That is rest. That is comfort. That's everything that puts you at calm. That's, a, that's the love of God in your life brings that peace. And that's the only way you can get it. Sorry. Namaste. You can't have it any other way. Centering yourself, focusing on yourself, breathing right is not going to bring you peace. Not this kind of peace. Not the peace that defies human logic. That's how the scripture describes it. The peace that surpasses understanding. That's a peace from God that only you can get from him. It's pumped into you by him. You cannot detach yourself from the vine of the Holy Spirit, from God, from Christ, and expect to have any kind of peace or joy. Long-suffering. What I love about these things is that means that God is joyful, God has peace, and God is long-suffering. He's not easily irritated by me. I know that I easily irritate some people. I know that. My personality is that. There are some people that just would rather not have a car ride with me. Let's put it that way, maybe. And that's okay. I understand. I know that about myself. I can see that sometimes with people. I, they're looking at me saying, the joke's over. Are you going to just keep going with the joke? I'm done with it. It's not funny anymore. Oh, he's going to keep going. Okay. I'll continue to fake laugh with them because I think I'm hilarious. You know? And I'm just testing all of you. That's all that is to see if you have long suffering. You practice those things. How do you ever eat the fruit if you never get to use it, right? So that's what I'm here for. God is not easily irritated with you, nor should I be easily irritated with you. You shouldn't be easily irritated with me. That's what long-suffering is. That's the fruit of the Spirit. JD's just JD. You roll the eyes all you want, but you're not irritated by it. You don't get on edge. Kindness. So overlooked. That beautiful attribute that God has for us, he's just simply kind to us. I know he loves us and died on the cross for us, but... It's beyond that. You know how they say, well, I love him, but I also like him. As if the like is more important than the love kind of thing. And it kind of is. This is what that is. I love you so much, but I'm also kind towards you. I'm so glad our God is kind. He wants us to be kind to one another. Be kind to your wife. Be kind to your husband. Be kind to your kids. Be kind to your parents. Mariah. Be kind, they are. Goodness. Goodness is godliness. Goodness. Just being good. God is good. Jesus said that. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Oh, yeah. 
faithfulness, someone who's going to be there, someone you can count on, someone who says they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Gentleness. Oh, boy. I'm going to build on that here in a minute because we've got to finish five and we're already over. Sorry. Self-control. That means I have control uh, of my own abilities and my own, my own flesh, my own. It's not just coordination. It's self-control. I, it doesn't just work for me, though. The implication of self-control is it works for you also. I use my self-control to benefit you. See, I don't have road rage. It's self-control. It is what it is. They did what they did. They flashed their high beams at me. People do that all the time with this truck that I have. I guess they're just bright LEDs or whatever. And everybody, you get your brights on. And I, my flesh wants to just say, no, this is what it looks like when my brights are on. How's that? But I don't. I have self-control. I just squint. <laughs> God bless you. you know. <laughs> I do. I understand. And I try to... I've had tried to get them adjusted so they're not in everybody's eyes, but it's tall and they're bright. And I'm sorry, that's the way it is. Self-control. Against such, there is no law. So if you're worried about the law, do these things. There's no law against them. So as long as you're doing these things we just mentioned, you'll never break a law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that's what I spoke of earlier. These things in this list were meant to be crucified. And if I have joined Christ at the cross when he was crucified. I had unity with him. I had desires with him. I put myself there. And the idea is I placed, when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I put my flesh, my sins, all on that cross with him. He paid for all those things. I have done that in my heart. I've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, Envying one another. And envy is a dangerous thing. Envy is, I can't believe they have that and I don't have that. That can be spiritual things and that can be physical things. We have to guard ourselves against that. If someone has something that you don't have and you don't think they deserve it, but you do, that's envy. You need to get rid of that. Crucify it. Kill it. It's not okay. It's going to cause bitterness. It's going to pull you away from Christ. It's going to push you away from them. And that's where we close tonight. And we'll get into chapter 6 next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. The fruit of the Spirit, Lord, is so much easier than the works of the law. Lord, help us to walk in your Spirit. We know that as believers, we've been filled with your Spirit. Your Holy Spirit dwells in us, leads and guides us if we'll let him. Help us to listen, to make a habit of listening. And not just listening, obeying whatever we hear from him. We might walk in the Spirit this week. Even tonight, starting now, we would just do what we feel the Holy Spirit leading us to do. We would act and say what the Holy Spirit is leading us to act and say. That's what we want in our lives. So we thank you for this tonight. We thank you for your love. We stay attached to the vine. We're abiding in you tonight. We pray that you'd fill us up and that you bear much fruit because you're looking for that. All through those gospels, Lord, you said, I'm looking for fruit. I want fruit. Or we want to be bearers of that fruit in our lives. So help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Thanks for staying late.